Start talking Super Bowl. The Rams, the designated away team, playing in their home stadium, of course, against the Bengals. Current line as we record this Thursday afternoon Pacific time, Rams minus four and a half, total 48 and a half. And I know that once we hit this stage of the Super Bowl market, those numbers are more or less locked in for a little while. But do you have any read right now on the cider total from a betting perspective? My lean would be Cincinnati at the current price, four and a half. Uh, my fare on this one is Rams by four. Um, I was surprised to see it tick up to four and a half, honestly. Um, I don't have a great sense as to why the market was so interested. At, you know, 24, you know, limits were up, obviously. So uh, people get pretty good bets down. I'm not sure why people were scrambling to make sure they grabbed the four, even when it was kind of juicy. Um, there's, you know, the, the matchups in this one are pretty clearly well-defined in favor of the Rams. I feel like the, um, you know, certainly the matchups in the trenches are about as big of a mismatch on both sides in favor of the Rams as any game of this magnitude that I can remember in a while. And yeah, that ought to matter, but, um, you know, there are still some things about the way Stafford plays quarterback. There are still some things about the way that, um, you know, this Bengals defense, particularly their secondary, has performed over the balance of these playoffs that gives you some uh, expectation that they're going to keep the Rams from scoring, you know, scoring quickly and running away with this thing. Um, and just the fact that you went on the road to Arrowhead and, you know, you basically faced a sure defeat and, you know, turned your. Uh, fortunes around and got the win um, you know it's going to be tough to count these guys out even if, if the game state is you know pretty hard negative against them um, so there's enough of a, an indication that the Bengals are going to be competitive in this contest that I don't mind taking them with the points uh, I haven't made any bets yet obviously I have huge uh, you know, you know, huge betting interest in the Rams winning but I don't care by how much <laughs> so uh, you know realistically uh, you know, I, my, most of my, uh, my rooting interest is for the Rams to win. Um, however, uh, you know, I think the you know, Stafford scares me a little and, you know, him potentially throwing a pick in this game, particularly if the, you know, Bengals are playing drop eight coverage could completely swing, uh, swing the balance. So, um, you know, I think, uh, I have a lot more thinking to do about the matchups and, and really grinding out some of the, uh, you know, the, the specific player performance expectations, but um, at the current numbers, my liens would be Bengals and under. I picked up on you mentioning concern about Stafford a couple times there. And that reminds me of one of the joys of my NFL season, getting to do the bet us NFL show with pro betters, Las Vegas, Chris and Scott Kellen out in Vegas. And Chris has mentioned multiple times as a Lions fan, he is very familiar with Stafford and he has mentioned that Stafford this year has thrown more pick sixes than Aaron Rodgers in his entire career. So that's a bit of perspective about the variance involved with Stafford in that offense. I get the trepidation from your perspective. But one thing I was going to bring up later, I think we can just unpack right now. You mentioned a lot of betting interest in the Rams. A lot of this audience is going to know why. But for the unacquainted, <laughs> can you lay out why you've got a lot of vested interest in the Rams already, whether or not you bet them at this point spread or on the money line? Yeah, so most people probably who have done, you know, been betting for a long time in their careers would remember 
or would understand what a Calcutta is. Calcutta is basically an auction um, where you know price the price of any given team depends on how much the pot ultimately gets to of all you know the value of all the teams. And so it's a dynamic kind of bidding environment where you're trying to come up with number one, well, what's my fair price given some assumption of the pot, and then number two, uh, you know, once you get a couple of teams that you're interested in, then you got to play a little defense and make sure that your opponents are overbidding for their teams so that the pot gets a little juicier and you can scoop all that value. And um, we play this game for college basketball is kind of the classic example. You bet 64 teams or you, you bundle up some of the, you know, some of the, some of the dregs, but uh, you know, you bid out all the teams and, and uh, you know, you get a, you get a specific portion of the pot for every win along the way. And um, in the Calcutta that we do with some of our high stakes friends in the content creation space, um, I ended up with the Bills and the Rams. And obviously, I mean, I went in there with kind of specifically targeting those two teams because there's a bunch of side pots like biggest win against the spread and most turnovers and biggest loss and, uh, you know, most fourth down conversions. And I was looking at all of that and I was like, man, the bills have a chance to scoop a couple of those. The Rams could scoop a couple of the other ones. So, you know, they had a little extra value to me as I was bidding. Um, and, uh, you know, boy, if this had been a Rams bill Super Bowl, I, you know, I'm, I'm you're retiring after this. Yeah. Kicking my feet back. I'm <laughs> not retiring, but I'd be, you know, just absolutely insufferably gloating over how, uh, you know, scooping the whole pot, but, um, un, but, uh, for sure, um, you know, once the Rams won their second game, uh, I was, um, in, in the money on them. Right. So I've gotten back more of the pot for the Rams getting to this point and, you know, getting to the getting to the NFC championship game. I'd gotten more money back than I'd spent buying them. So I was, you know, you know in the money. And then the win of the NFC championship game, obviously another uh, huge chunk, I think 10 percent of the pot on that one. And then the winner of the uh, Super Bowl will get 13 percent of the pot. So um, at this point, uh, you know, the fact that the Rams have what, 65, 70 percent, 60, yeah, 65 ish percent chance to win. Uh, that has me pretty, uh, pretty excited. So I think, um, you know, as we get closer, I have some tough decisions to make about trying to extract, uh, at least some of the, uh, value that's already in hand. Um, but ultimately I'm probably going to let a lot of it ride. How much of that Rams exposure via the Calcutta is impacting your betting decisions when it comes to what to do with the Super Bowl specifically? A lot. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, it's a, uh, this is a pretty big, I, I, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm not a, uh, I'm not a limit better, but I definitely, this would be the largest uh, potential windfall for one game uh, that I will have had um, by a decent amount, not by a lot, but not like two X like, uh, but uh, I've had some swings that were big. This would be, uh, um, yeah, this would be a, a pretty big win. So for for sure, um, you know, I haven't spent the money in my head. I haven't, you know, I'm not like overthinking this or anything. But but uh, um, the idea of not having to take any position at all and just being able to kick back and enjoy the game and cross my fingers is is definitely appealing. Yeah, and I think a common concept, a lot of people this time of year wondering what to do with hedging possibilities, and 
my general MO is if it's not life-changing money or you don't have an edge, just let it ride. If you are looking at something that can be life-changing in any way, then of course that can change the equation. So totally fair game with a lean already to the Bengals. If you do end up going their way, it's been interesting to your point earlier about the market going up on the Rams. When this line opened three and a half, my first thought was, all right, well, if it goes up to four or four and a half, like we've seen it do, not a big deal. But I don't know who's betting the Rams right now, because even if you like them, even if you know what the score of this game will be, just market timing would suggest wait and see if the three and a half comes down a tick, because one tick down to three is worth a lot more than several ticks up the other way. So that's been a bit perplexing to me. Um, but I'm just going to see if the money line might offer an opportunity for anybody to get involved on the Rams who would like to do so. Right now, their money line, about minus 210, is a consensus number. And I know you're probably more experienced in this than I am when it comes to what we tend to see with the Super Bowl favorite on the money line as we get closer to game day. Uh, could you elaborate just a bit on that trend that we typically see every year? And if you didn't have any Rams exposure already, do you think there might be a general buy price in mind if we see a certain floor for that Rams money line? Ooh, uh, I haven't thought through this yet. This is a good question. I might turn this around and ask you for some feedback on this because I, I, it seems like you have thought this through at least a little bit, and I really haven't. But um, there's generally, you know, in any game of this magnitude, and even in this game, as far as I understand this particular market and the way it's shaping up, like we are still a week and change away. There's still going to be a lot more money that is wagered on this one before the you know before the handle is measured right and even now i think the split is pretty unbalanced in favor of the bengals as far as you know just tickets written and and dollars wagered so they're building you know the books are taking a little bit of a stand here on the rams which is interesting um and what happens with a lot of these games of this magnitude is you know betters tend to rather than take the plus the points, take the money line for the dog. Um, and you can have a situation happen where you're the, you know, you have a little bit of a spread open up where um, there's either value on the dog with the points or value to take the money line with the favorite, because it's just a little bit of a disconnect from what we understand the true correlation between those two prices ought to be. Um, there's enough NFL games and enough data at this point that I don't think anyone would strongly argue that, at f- minus four and a half, the money line should be minus two oh five or something like that, whatever the number is, like something in that ballpark. And if in reality, because there's pressure on the Bengals money line to pushing that, you know, bringing that number into minus one eighty, if it closes minus four and a half and you have minus one eighty in the money line on the board, there's probably a plus EV bet to be made on the Rams money line. Um, that would have been my answer. If you turn it around and ask me minus 180 (laughs) is the magic number in my head. I don't know if we see that again. I think it did exist for a bit when this point spread was a bit lower. But I think that if we see minus four and a half on game day and minus 180 on the money line, that's just something that you're not going to see in pretty much any other setting. So if I don't see any value on the side, that's still the way I'd look to get in play if I were inclined to back the Rams. Yeah, I I think that you're on the right track like the in the gut the you know the recreational player this is maybe one of a few examples all year where volume tends to actually influence the market in some way and i have i haven't heard anyone really refute that it might not even be true <laughs> like like yeah these these you know these the, the markets are so 
so efficient and there's so much money to be made betting the NFL that for all I know that that's not even true anymore. But, um, you know, to some degree, um, you know, the, the sentiment of, well, if I'm going to bet the favorite, I'll just lay the points because I want that price. If I'm going to bet the dog, I'm going to take the money line because I want that price independent of how they're correlated, uh, you know, considering the market overall. Um, that would tell you that you're inclined to either take the points with the dog or lay the uh, lay the money line price with the favorite for a game of like this. So yeah, it's it's something we tend to see every year. Still waiting to see if it comes into play this time around. And while we wait for that, I'll also note one that I have on the total. I'm leaning toward the under with you. I know this opened on the other side of fifty, but once we're it, it was never fifty one, and it's probably never going to touch forty seven. So maybe we're in a bit of a dead zone, kind of like we are with the point spread, which is unfortunate in terms of betting appeal and market activity but with this being where we are i would still lean under because one of my biggest factors in the game right now is trying to figure out where i might be able to trust either coach a lot of early down runs with both of these teams lately and they've been getting bailed out by things that i'm not so sure are sustainable the Bengals just won their third straight playoff game by largely winning the turnover battle. I know they've done plenty of other things well, and Burrow has been great. I don't want to knock what they've done well, but when you're winning the turnover battle week over week, that can bail you out when Zach Taylor's running Joe Mixon up the middle seemingly every single first down. And the Rams aren't exempt from that kind of thinking. I mean, maybe we can see the connection even more clearly between Zach Taylor and Sean McVay because McVay's been operating pretty similarly lately. And the Rams last week, uh, turnovers, not necessarily why they won that game, but instead I would look at third downs. They were 11 for 18 on third down. Yes, that's a great conversion rate, but having 18 third down attempts in one game is a red flag in and of itself. That says something about what the Rams are doing, running the ball too much early in my yeah. book. And so I'm trying to think about something like early down success rate, one of the advanced metrics being more predictive than turnovers and third downs, which have been swinging in favor of the Bengals and Rams respectively of late. Yes. I mean, I just think if you've got Burrow, Chase and Higgins and you've got Stafford and Cup and OBJ on the other side, why is the running game such a point of emphasis? I know it's not as simple as saying, hey, we have a good quarterback and good receivers. We're going to pass every play. I don't want to be somebody just going all in on that extreme. But I think that the notion of balance in the run game doesn't have to mean you're running 50% of the time or anywhere near it. It can just mean you're running enough to keep a defense honest, but still letting your big skill position players do what they do best. I'm not sure either coach puts their team in that position. And for that reason, I'm giving the under a good look right now. Yeah, I, that's completely reasonable. There's a lot of paths to victory for the under. Uh, if there's a plus EV bet to be made this moment, and you you told me that there is, what is it? I'm probably, I'm guessing it's the under. Um the games could get short. Uh, the idea of the Bengals succeeding in the drop eight against Mahomes and the fact that they could play four quarters of that against Stafford and then McVay is incentivized to run um, and just completely wipe out this clock, that's real. Um, the fact that the Rams D-line could utterly disrupt um Third, you know, third down, obvious passing downs for the uh, Bengals and keep them from scoring, keep, you know, scoring drives into, you know, red zone drives into field goals or, um, you know, field goals into punts. That seems real to me. Um, and so this could be a lower scoring contest. I could see that for sure. Um, your broader point, which I think is maybe worth doubling back on, these are two four seeds in the Super Bowl. 
And as much as the general sentiment becomes, let's laud these guys because as they got here, both of these teams kind of succeeded in spite of their coaching in a lot of ways, specifically their offensive sequencing and their offensive, you know, some of the, some of the decision-making in terms of how they were going to do things offensively. Um, And I don't even really know who is luckier to be here (laughs) because they're both pretty lucky. The, uh, the Rams got a, a novice coach and QB on the road in, in week one that was because that team couldn't win their week 18 game against the Seahawks, <laughs> right? Like they got a home game and they got that win because of that. You know, that was, that was a done deal because of the, who they placed. That was a hugely advantage spot for them. Advantage spot against the Buccaneers as well, because they went up against a team that was down like a million important players. So like that was one of the more injury ridden squads that made the playoffs. And then, you know, to get that to be your second round opponent on the road, I thought was a huge advantage. Um, the Niners did the dirty work for them, eliminating the Packers uh, and gifting them a home NFC championship game as a four seed, which is fluky. Um, and they got to place a Niners team that was also limping into that game, having played seven of nine, you know, seventh road game of nine weeks um, fourth straight road game. Um, and you know, I thought as you watch that game and as I've watched the replay since that defense ran out of gas, like they were just, they were exhausted. And, um, and you got to face a quarterback that, you know, has a broken thumb and a separated shoulder. So it was like, there's a, there's a lot going in your favor if you're the Rams to get to this point. Um, and then with the Bengals, similar story, like you got to face a Raiders team that qualified because of a pretty fluky, uh, win over the Chargers in week 18. Um, you just barely escape that game, by the way, because you because there was an incompletion off of Sam Hubbard's helmet uh, that prevented a Waller touchdown that would have made that a game, right? And um, the uh, so that was kind of a lucky win against the Raiders. Uh, it was a lucky-ish win against the Titans. I mean, they you played you played a fine game. You played a clean game in that one. But you got sacked nine times for crying out loud, and you got the beneficiary. You got the benefit of three turnovers, three interceptions. The first pass and the last pass of the game, you know, you picked off. And interceptions aren't sustainable game to game, year to year. So that was a little fluky. And then I still really don't understand what the hell happened against the Chiefs. Like the second half of that game was so mind boggling in terms of what Pat Mahomes was doing that. You know, I don't want to. I, I don't want to say it was luck because obviously they made some adjustments and they did some things really, really, really well. And they caught a couple of bounces. They had a short field that they turned into seven points, and or eight points. Excuse me, eight mm-hmm. points. And uh, and then they win in overtime with Mahomes just completely losing his mind. So, you know, if they face the Bills on the road in that AFC championship game. I don't see that being a competitive game at all. I think the Bills would have absolutely run them over. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's, it, I think in general, all your points about each coach in the way that they called each game, particularly McVay, in game decision making is highly suspect. So, yeah, these guys are lucky to be here. Are they going to make decisions that take points off the, off the board? I would say that's a it's a good guess, yes. 
on that note, I think we've covered a lot of good ground looking at the spread, money line, and total. Also, don't want to leave props out of the equation as we take our early look at the Super Bowl. This year, probably a trend we'll see in years to come as regulation sweeps across the country. Seems like the prop market opened up about as early as I've ever seen it, so we do have some pretty substantial options on the board. We'll get to some of those in a bit, but right off the bat, in general, do you have a prop betting strategy that you tend to adhere to year over year? Yeah, I tend to bet known information and skip all the rest. <laughs> that's more or less <laughs> that easy. my MO. Yeah, it's that. that's the way we do about it. We, we track down some Anthem stuff, some halftime show stuff, some Gatorade stuff, and we call it a Super Bowl. <laughs> that's kind of the way it goes. There are really, really, really outstanding prop originators, and I'm not one of those guys. Um, I will catch some. Yeah, we have some. We have some friends who are quite sharp who do some good prop origination. Um, if I see any of their stuff that I think, oh, yeah, that's plus EV. That makes sense. Like, I'll get involved. Uh, you know, I'll tail some of that. Um, I'm not originating any props myself for this one outside of what I think are pretty clear game state related stuff where because because guess because the way that the prop market works, they try to they they overextend themselves opening as much as possible. Right. So your choices are, I'm going to come up with my fares in my robust way that I do week in, week out, and I'm going to do it faster, and I'm going to beat the, peop, beat, you know, beat the market into shape, and that's how I'm going to grind my edge. I'm, I'm not capable of doing that. I know it. Like, I don't have the infrastructure in place. I don't do it week in, week out, so I'm not going to do it for the Super Bowl. Um, the, the alternative way of approaching it is like, okay, I know how an originator is going to approach this and i know that whatever mean value or median value they land on that they're going to bet this number to is going to be fundamentally biased because of something else that's not accounted for because of an interesting wrinkle about this matchup or this game does that check out yeah i think to your point about some of our mutual friends who are quite sharp and can originate this stuff there's a Twitter group chat that we're both a part of, and I just feel so fortunate to be in such sharp company. I know that we can give a shout out to our mutual friend who goes by at SH8Model on Twitter. Oh, yeah. I believe somebody else brought up the point I'm getting to here as far as one prop that I saw originated by somebody else, but I still found value in the marketplace to get down on it for myself. And that would be no onside kick attempt in the game. And hmm. the price point I... I got minus 180 and still seeing 185s and even some 215s out there. I would be good with this up to minus 250 based on my understanding. And uh, Hector, SH8 model, noted that in the regular season, a record low of onside kick attempts, 56. And I would extrapolate that to say also that came in a record high number of games for a regular season, 272 games with the 18th week tacked on this year. And if we're assuming no games had multiple attempts, the max percentage of games with an onside kick attempt it's right around 20 percent that equates to a line of minus 400 if we're doing just a no big line minus 400 plus 400 if we look at minus 180 uh maybe juice it up a bit since you know let's say minus 215 is now the prevailing number uh the percentage implied by minus 215 is doing some quick math here all right so that's 68 percent um, so if we just basically say 20% of game tad on sidekick attempts, yep. and this is telling us that if the Super Bowl odds are 
31%. You know, that's, that's quite a big delta uh, yes. right there. Yeah. I know it's the Super Bowl. Teams might do things they don't normally do out of desperation or just to maybe try to catch somebody off guard like, you know, Sean Payton against the Colts years ago. But realistically, with this kind of edge, I mean, I don't know if it's more likely to the extent that one in five games in the regular season reduces to one in three playoff games should see an onside kick. Offhand, offhand, I don't know if I've seen an onside kick yet this postseason. And with guys like McVay and Taylor, I don't see them as the biggest risk takers. Some people view them as innovative and analytical. I think with a lot of game management, they tend not to take a lot of chances. So I want to see what you think about that possible look at no onside kick attempt. Yeah, I think that's a, a fun, fair way to do it. A similar one that I would look at or try to find is if you can track down like number of players to attempt a pass. Uh, I like over two and a half there. Um, I think both of these offenses, we have seen them practice that trick play in action this season. Um, Cooper Cup has a pass attempt. Odell Beckham Jr. has a pass attempt. T. Higgins has a pass attempt. Johnny Hecker has four pass attempts this season. Um, so the chances that there's a trick play that is run where a, a, somebody not Stafford and not Burrow attempts a pass, I think is pretty decent. Um, I haven't found the best price on this available yet, so I haven't bet it. But I do think that uh, in the same sort of mindset of, um, you know, what could be different about this game or special, like that one rings true to me as uh, there could be some trickeration. Is there a number that you have looked at for this bet before? I know still shopping around, letting the market do its thing this Super Bowl cycle, but that's one that I do know has made the rounds in years past. Just wondering if historically, if you have any numbers that you tend to look for. So if somebody's listening to this now, they have a general ballpark of what price would probably be acceptable on the yes. Yeah, yes is anything uh, you need plus money without a doubt. I would realistically need something in the ballpark of uh, plus 150 for over two and a half. Got it. It's yeah, not. A, it's my... not. Yeah. It's not. Oh, it's not a better than 50-50 chance that there is a, a trick play. Yeah. Yeah. Generally, that's one that I tend to look toward the no. You brought up some good points about this matchup. That's why this can be so helpful to have these conversations because what we might see on a season-long basis or league-wide doesn't necessarily apply to these two teams in the Super Bowl with a one-game sample size. And usually, I'll look toward the no because it's so memorable. I mean, OBJ throwing that pass against the Cardinals in the wild card round. If we see Cup throw a pass or yeah, somehow the Rams punter is also probably, I don't know, maybe one of the top 50 quarterbacks in the world if we look at, you know, some metrics with the way they have him throwing the ball from time to time. But um, it all comes down to the price, and it can be hard to forget all the times that this doesn't happen because it's yeah. so memorable when it does come through. Um, but to your point about that price tag, last year I remember locking in the no on game day because I saw a plus 160 on the under two and a half players to attempt a pass. Oh, almost wow. positive that was meant to be a minus one six. Yeah, 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 typographical yeah, yeah, yeah. error right before kickoff. Um, so if you can you know, find plus money on either side of that, I think you it, it, to the tune of plus one fifty, either over or under, I think is a good bet because it's it should be, uh, you know, fair fair percentage on this for these two teams should be like around forty forty two. Yeah. I think that uh, that one, as the market develops, I'll certainly be keeping a close eye on. One more that I want to throw out there that I think is actionable now because I'm not sure it's going to last too long is a player prop. And I'm going to piece together things that I've heard from the Hitman, Fezzik, and Las Vegas, Chris, that have led me to look this way. Cam Akers, over 65 and a half rushing yards. 
I think that that's about the ceiling for this prop. It has already come up a little bit, so I want to be mindful of the number, but up to 65 and a half, feel pretty good about it. One thing in general with Super Bowl props, if you're looking to bet overs, you want to take them early. If you're looking to bet unders, you can wait a while. Not a bulletproof rule, but I think a good rule of thumb nevertheless. And as it pertains to Akers here, the Bengals defense, a pretty big step down in class, having had the Niners and the Bucks these last couple of weeks. I also think the bye week can really help him, obviously coming back remarkably fast from an Achilles injury. All the credit in the world to him and the Rams staff for just having him on the field at this point. But also a shoulder injury took him out of the NFC title game before that he was on the fast track to go over his total against the Niners. I think had he stayed in the game, this line for the Super Bowl would be even higher. I also think we might be getting a bit of a free roll when it comes to game script. I mean, the Rams are favored and it's a fairly sizable favorite. And we talked about McVay being pretty run heavy lately. Mm -hmm. So if the game just breaks a certain way that's not all that implausible, the Rams could be giving it to Akers early and often. And then one thing I heard this uh, specific point Fezzik brought up, aggregating the total yards for the players on both teams and comparing that to the point spread for this game, basically the Rams are coming at a discount with their overs and the Bengals are being priced at a premium. You'd think usually with a four and a half point favorite, if you look at the average total yardage edge that a four and a half point favorite will have in a game, it's bigger than what these prop numbers are implying. If you just add up everything for, you know, Burrow passing yards, Chase Higgins receiving yards, and so on. Take that for all the teams. Essentially, the Rams are coming at a slight discount relative to being a four and a half point favorite. And one more thing I'll note, and this uh, I'll give a hat tip to LVC. In the Super Bowl, you know, something like a backfield split that might be 60 40 during the regular season, yeah. that's going to favor the better player even more strongly. And oh, yeah. yeah. Sony Michelle, fine player, but Cam Akers, if we can assume any reasonable degree of health, clearly the better player. So what might be 60-40 in regular circumstances, I don't know, maybe 75-25, 80-20 in the Super Bowl. So I just think that Akers could be in line for a fairly big day over up to 65 and a half on his rushing yards, the first player prop in my Super Bowl portfolio. I like that. I think that uh, checks out in terms of just overall concept. Um, I'll give you one that's kind of a fun game steady one, kind of piggybacking on our little coaching discussion there. Team to call the first time out in the game is basically line 50-50. And I will be damned if that's true, fair. Like, it is almost certainly the Rams likely to burn a timeout before the Bengals do, just through the nature of a bad challenge, uh, a, a, a potential delay of game calling. You know, McVay is uh, very liberal uh, with blowing timeouts, uh, as, you know, as evidenced in the, in the NFC Championship game. Um but uh, yeah, I would say if you can find anything that, you know, any of those markets that are lined about even, and I'm looking at a couple right now in the offshore space, um, you know, Rams to call the first time out is one that I, I especially like. I like that angle. I couldn't believe how he was just giving away challenges and timeouts in the biggest moment of the Ram season. And it didn't come back to bite them last week, which sometimes when coaches have a shaky process and get rewarded for it, they're maybe not going to second guess it the way they should. I can't fault that look. And as you talk about that, I'm loving this back and forth. One more that I'm seeing priced <laughs> about 50-50 right now, a two-way market would be the second half to outscore the first half. And that's an annual staple of mine that tends to get steamed up in a hurry as the game approaches. But right now I'm still seeing some minus 110, minus 115 available. And I think conceptually in the first half, a lot of teams don't want to blow the game. A lot of nerves, you don't want to lose it early. And in the second half, 
there's no need to hold back. A lot of teams will just empty the tank. And especially with these coaches, once again, that's a common thread in this conversation. McVay and Taylor, we can count on a lot of early down runs, especially early in the game when we're guaranteed at least a little while with a fairly neutral game state. Later on, assuming a team's going to be trailing, they're going to at least have to get a little pass heavy. So I think second half outscoring the first half, one of my favorite annual staples, still seeing at a good price right now. I'd be pretty quick to put that in pocket. And I would just endorse reading the fine print. There are some books offering this on a two-way line where ties push. Other books offer three-way lines where it's first half, second half. And then if it's a tie, you don't get the push. The The tied score amount for both halves would essentially be a big like 20 to one payout or something like that because it's a bit of a needle in a haystack. I think that difference between a two-way and three-way line worth about 10 cents. And I'll just call it, you know, good up to minus 145 on a two-way line where a tie would push. And if your tie would lose, should the second half and first half have the same point total, I would take the second half over the first half up to minus 135. One more very subtle thing here. Some books will count overtime toward the second half total. Other books won't. Probably not going to see overtime in this one, but just in case we do, if you are looking at two lines and they're all equal, except for the fact that one book is counting overtime, slight edge to go ahead and take that number. I dig it. That's very cool. I have one more for you. Uh, all this right, is maybe my it. favorite of the entire uh, prop options that are out there right now. And I almost can't even believe that this is real, but it is. I am looking at it right now at a very prominent, prominent offshore book that is that has just taken my bet on this. Team to score the longest field goal. We have right now Cincinnati plus 100, Rams minus 130. There is a decent chance that there's something not right with Matt Gay. There is a decent chance that he is dealing with a, a meaningful injury as evidenced by the fact that he was completely unable to hit from distance in both the Tampa Bay game and the San Francisco game. In fact, I was actually surprised that Sean McVay even trotted uh, Matt Gay out there to attempt a, what was a 52 or 54 yarder uh, against the Niners. Um, that one was dead on delivery. Uh, it was never even close in terms of distance, let alone accuracy. And I think that there is a decent chance that McVeigh knows now he's learned the hard way. Hey, I'm not going to trap my guy out there to try a 54 yarder because he isn't right. Um, on the flip side, the Cincinnati Bengals very inclined to let McPherson go from distance. Uh, and, uh, you know, if you, if you look at the, um, uh, if you look at the game props at a certain, uh, sports book that is, you know, managed social media team by Mr. Mason, uh, there is a team to score the longest field goal Cincinnati plus 100, and they will take a, a $500 bet on that. So, uh, they have my money, uh, because I think McPherson will go, uh, for a 40, a high forties, low fifties in this game. And I think Matt Gay, uh, if he's kicking field goals, they're going to be of the 35-yard variety. So uh, that one is uh, kind of a head-scratcher why the Rams would be favored. Yeah, I mean, maybe they're favored because they're favored in the game, so the odds might be that they kick another field goal. But I really like your breakdown there, and I, uh, as you're going, if I'm looking off-screen, then uh, I'm just shopping for it. Yeah, um, okay. I'm, I'm not quite seeing even money for the Bengals, but I'm seeing some reduced VIG at some recreational books. And I think uh, one of the most prominent market makers has this probably priced more properly. Bengals, the minus 120 favorite here. Okay. Um, so that subtle edge can be, you know, a lot more value. If I'm seeing a market maker at Bengals minus 120 and elsewhere, you can take it for even money or a minus 105. 
that's probably telling you without that handicap that you gave us, those numbers alone are probably telling you which way to look there. Yeah, I think so too. And uh, my fare on that would be somewhere in like the minus 200 ballpark. So I think there's a pretty massive EV on this one right now. Love it. All right. So we've got quite a few that we've already got in pocket. And I think in the sites, I'll check in with you in a sec to see if there's anything that you haven't bet yet, but you have any plans to bet just based on letting the market do its thing. And one that I'll throw out there would be a team to score three unanswered times. We usually see this approach the range of minus 200 come game day or close to it. So I want to bet it late because right now the prices are a little bit higher. But the market, again, a lot of people will see a prop like that. And it sounds like it's really specific and threading the needle. So people want to take a nice plus payout thinking that sounds pretty unlikely. But if we're laying minus 200, we have a break-even probability of 67%. Mm -hmm. I think the true odds of this belong on the other side of 70%. And I get it. In close games, it can be scary. The Rams a clear favorite, but it's not like they're a massive favorite. This game could be close and it shouldn't surprise anybody. But going back to just last week, we had two games decided by three points. And the AFC title game, the Bengals went on a run of scoring three unanswered times. And the NFC title game, both teams had runs of scoring three unanswered times. A subtle edge here, even though we're looking for a team to score three straight times, that doesn't necessarily require multiple stops from a defense because you could have a team score at the end of the first half and come out getting the ball to start the second half. So there's a lot of paths to get this one home, even in close games. So if anybody sees minus 200 for the yes on a team to score three unanswered times as game day approaches, that's one that I can certainly endorse. But for now, just patiently waiting. I agree with your breakdown on that. That sounds like a great way to attack that market. And um, I think your probabilities were pretty close to what I would have guessed. Props and ups and props and ups and props and ups.